Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Being in love is awesome. Being in love is also a huge pain in the ass. Nothing brings us more joy or more pain than our romantic partnerships. But all the information out there about what to do can be really confusing. So today I'm cutting through all the noise and bringing you the keys to a long, happy relationship backed by research. So stay tuned. I'm Dr. Abby Metcalf, and I'm a psychologist, number one Amazon bestselling author, TEDx speaker, and all around relationship maven. With over 30 years of experience helping people create connection, joy, and ease in all their relationships. What's my secret? Well, besides being totally hilarious, I help you think differently so you can approach your relationships in a completely new way. I'm the best deal in town because the tools I teach apply to all your relationships which allows you to simplify your life and find the confidence, calm, and deep love you've been craving. Combining my hands-on experience and all the latest research, I've created actionable tips and tools you can apply quickly and easily to create lasting change in all your relationships today. So let's get to it. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here with me. It's another week of the Relationships Made Easy podcast. (sighs) It's always fun for me to be here. It's always great when you write in with your awesome questions and, you know, wanting answers or topics you want to hear about. And one of the things I do hear a lot about is, you know, how to keep a relationship long term. And so I do want to say first that To me, it's not about a long-term relationship. It's about a happy relationship (laughs) because lots of folks are in them long-term and they're not happy. And I don't, I don't know why everyone thinks long-term is the only thing. It it really is about, you know, happy. Uh, As I wrote in my number one Amazon bestselling book, Be Happily Married, even if your partner won't do a thing, if you haven't gotten it yet, you might want to check it out. Good timing, but either way, and obviously that's for all relationships, not just marriages, but Uh, I really was excited to get into this. And 
not long ago, you know, there's uh, been a lot of new research on the scene or it's really research that's been going on a long time, but we're finally having some kind of answers, you know, like some uh, what the results are, some some results of these long term um, research studies. So and actually there's one that I really want to talk about right now to sort of set the stage for us talking about the this these it's really two keys that I'm going to talk about today that are really the things to focus on. And in 1938, it, there was something it's now famous, you know, it was called the Grant Study, also known as the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And it set out to answer one question, which is what makes a good life? And it is one of the most comprehensive longitudinal studies ever done over 80 years. I mean, it's crazy. I should say it's one of the longest studies done, at least on white, you know, white privileged males, I say with love. But but we, we've this research, you know, what they uh, found is also found in other research. So I do want to say that. Uh, and it and it this study has produced some amazing findings. But according to so George Valiant, who led the study for really the majority of the decades it's been in existence, uh, he's no longer the director, but. What he said was uh, that it, the whole study boiled down to this. He said, you know, the 75 years and the $20 million we've spent on the grant study points to a straightforward five-word conclusion. Happiness is love. Full stop. I love this quote. I say it all the time. It's so good. But that is really at the heart of what they found when they were studying all these things about what makes a good life, you know. What is this? And they they looked at health. I mean, everything. This again, this was a very comprehensive study following these uh, gentlemen. There were no women at Harvard in 1938, and uh, and the current director of the study is a man named uh, a, prof- a doctor named Robert Robert uh, Waldinger. I hope I said that right. Waldinger, Waldinger. I think it's Waldinger, and he's a now he's a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and is the like I said the current director of the study, and. He, uh, they put out a lot of findings, I think about a year ago. So, and so he was more recently talking about another shocker that they discovered from the study. And he says that the really surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Yeah. So get this, the people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 in this study, were the healthiest at age 80. Think of that. So the people who were happiest in the relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. Strong relationships help to delay mental and physical decline. So taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. And to him, you know, he says, that's a revelation right there. So we are pretty clear right? That having healthy, connected relationships is one of the secrets to a happy life. But of course, the question is, great, Abby, how do I get there? You know, I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm listening to your podcast. What do I do? So the good news is that the grant study, again, hasn't been the only game in town. I don't want you to think that we're just looking at these, again, kind of white males <laughs> over all those years. The researchers around the world of course have been studying what makes happy, lasting relationships. And there are a few consistent findings that you can apply to your own life. Okay. So that's what I'm going to go over today. Really what's, and that's why there's only really two things. (laughs) I mean, there's, 
kind of more. They talk about compassion, empathy, and you know, I've I've got all that other episodes about that. But I want to really focus on these two because they're different and there's something I haven't talked about before. So drum roll. So the first thing is to be delusional. <laughs> I know, you're like delusional. Yep. No, no, I'm not kidding. One of the biggest findings from the research is the ability, get this, to sustain what they call positive illusions or easily, you know, an easier way to say that is idealizing your partner. And I know you're thinking right now, but but Abby, isn't isn't a happy relationship based on having shared values and communicating effectively? And obviously I'm not saying those are bad things, but what I'm saying is that there's actually no research to support that those things are the most important. Okay. And I'm just going to dabble a little bit in the research so you can believe me. And I'm going to use two of the really big studies, two more of the really big studies. So there was a meta survey of a meta survey means that we that you looked at a bunch of other studies. And there was a meta survey. This is a Marcel Zentner from a doctor, a PhD, of course, from the University of Geneva. And did this meta study of 470 other studies on compatibility. Okay. And he found that there actually weren't any common, you know, like kind of character qualities that led to lasting happy relationships. So again, so despite combing through vast amount of research, all these studies, he couldn't find any combination of personality traits or whatever that added up to, you know, some holy grail of relationships. But, but get this, but there was one exception and that's this, the ability to sustain your positive illusions. That and again, I'll link to all the research on my on the show notes page. So if you really want to go look at these studies, you're welcome to. No, I'm not making things up. <laughs> my my kids are always if I give them a fact about pot or something else, you know, they're like, "You're making that up." You know, if it's something they don't want to believe. And I I'm always whipping out the research. I'm like, "Here's the study." Anyway, <laughs> isn't it fun to live with me? Yeah. Uh so so let's talk about this a little bit. So you you know that this positive illusion thing, you know how you feel in the beginning of a relationship, okay? The very beginning, very beginning of the relationship. I'm, and I'm not talking about the buzz you're having from all the great sex, okay? I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you like first described your partner to your friends or family and you remember, or, or to yourself, and you just went on and on about how fantastic they were and fabulous and he's this and she's that. Okay, well, if you want to be happy now, and again, make it last, you got to keep talking that way. You have to keep talking that way. You got to still think that your partner is heart, is heart, is hot, is, is, or at least attractive, uh, that they're smart and funny and thoughtful and kind and caring or whatever you thought about them in the beginning, that was enough to want to stay with them and get serious. So I want you to be love blind. That's what I'm talking about today. You've got to be love blind. You can call it self-deception. I don't care that your partner, you know, <laughs> it's I'm lying to myself if I say that my partner still looks as good at 50 as they did at 30, but but I, I call it smart. I say be grateful and excited that you feel this way if you feel that way. I will really, and I'm just going to jump in with something uh, with personal here. This particular key thing is very alive and well in my own relationship. My my man is hot. I think he's hot. All these years in, I think that man is smoking. And he, 
thank God, looks at me like I am magic. And I can tell you that my boobs aren't where they used to be. <laughs> and I talk about it a lot. I, I know where I left my ass in 1980 and it is not there. Um, you know, I don't look like I used to. My face is drooping. I'm old. I'm almost 60. I'm pushing on the other side to 60. It's like, I do not look like I used to. I'm not saying that I don't try to look my best and all that. If you're watching me on YouTube right now, hopefully you think I look fabulous. You can comment about it. Um, I am wearing a fabulous sweater that you're missing on the podcast. But anyway, um, <laughs> but to still look at each other like, you know, and I, I see his shoulders or I, I'll touch him or whatever. It's like really feeling into this person. And, but I, it's not just the physical, you know? So again, I, I don't look like I used to. He doesn't look like he used to when I met him. But it's this finding the sexy within, you know, finding the 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 sexy within what is now and keeping that feeling, right? That and I'm not just talking about the physical. It's also still finding them really funny or really smart or really kind or whatever, generous, whatever the things were again that you were talking about nonstop in the beginning, those are the things. And I know, I know, I know that you're asking right now, that's great, Abby. How do you keep this feeling even after all these years together, right? All this time together. And there's many answers to this question, but I'll tell you that the low hanging fruit is to do your best not to be overly familiar with your spouse. I talk about this quite a bit with your partner. My, what's my favorite thing I talk about? Close the bathroom door. Friggin' close that door, people. I don't, I don't pee in front of Gary. Nope. I don't ask him to look at that funny skin tag on my back or joke about how I blew up the bathroom with that huge poop I just took. You know, I don't talk that way to this man. <laughs> and by the way, I hold him to the same standard. It's not funny to fart in front of me. If you need to fart, leave the friggin' room. And I, I know someone's listening right now, furious and upset that I'm saying these things. No, that, you know, we, we're close, we're intimate. If you're listening now, there's work probably to be done in the relationship. There's things you're trying to do. And getting, it's very hard to not get overly familiar in relationships. It, you, you live together, you sleep together, you do everything to get, you know, you're around each other all the time. They, they know about your secret snacking habits and they, they know about, you know, what your bathroom habits. It's like, you've got to find that space to create space. And not, and I'm telling you, one of the, the easiest things to do is to just start separating out the, the bathroom issue or even, you know, when I get undressed, I've shared this before on the podcast. I don't just like get undressed and jump into bed, you know, in all my fabulous nakedness. I like give, I don't know, I give a little show. I, I get undressed slowly. I think about it. In other words, I think about it when I change out of my work clothes into, you know, clothes I'm going to wear around the house. Cause I don't like to ruin my, my lovely, you know, beautiful like work sweater I have on today. I, I still change into something that's not, I don't change into like ripped up holy sweats. You know, I, again, I'm comfortable. I'm totally comfortable. I buy comfortable. I'm comfortable now. I'm comfortable in the clothes I wear to work. I'm comfortable in the clothes later, but I, I just pay a little bit of attention to it. Nothing crazy, but a little bit of attention. So, and I, I again, it's not, I, and I do want to say, it's not just the physical. It's also about showing up with enthusiasm for, you know, what your partner's interested in, you know, enthusiasm for their wins. It's about noticing how you're thinking about them day to day. If all, if all you do 
is focus on their negatives or complain to your friends about them, that that's the energy that becomes your relationship. That becomes the story of your relationship. And if you want a happy, long-term partnership, you need to change the story to a really good one. And like to the one you had when you first got together, you had a great story about this person when you first got together, or you wouldn't have had the second, third, 10th date, or I hope not a wedding. So, or moved in or whatever you did next, thinking that's my person. Somewhere along the way, of course, our illusions get shattered as we, you know, have this person maybe on too high of a pedestal or we were expecting different things or whatever. You got to get back. And again, as part of this, I would say don't complain about yourself or point out, you know, point out how there's no room between your thighs or uh, I've seen guys, you know, rub their big belly and tell their partner, you know, hey, there's more of me to love. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't do that. No one likes that. Stop that. Stop that right now. I say with love. It's it's like we're pointing out things or, oh, I look so fat in this or whatever. Stop it. Just just stop. Just don't. I, I just don't say that stuff. You know, even if I'm thinking it, I'll call a girlfriend and say, oh, my God, I gained some weight in the pandemic, my butt. I don't I don't say that stuff to my man. I don't. I don't. I don't need to. It's not if why am I trying to convince him that I don't look good? <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. And he shouldn't convince me either. So, you know, just think about it. Thinking and believing that your partner is better than they are. Think of that. Better than they are. That's the best love blindness you can have. And I'm going to share with you, there's other research where they found that people who were unrealistically idealistic about their partners when they got married were more satisfied years later in the relationship than those who were less idealistic about their partners when they first got when they got married. And to me, right, when I first heard this, I thought that sounds counterintuitive. Right? It sounds counterintuitive. If I'm going in with these, you know, unrealistic thoughts about my partner, isn't that mean I'm just going to be disappointed? Doesn't that set me up for failure? Shouldn't I have the opposite? But the research shows nope. You should have unrealistic idealism, uh, idealistic views of your partner, that that's really, that that's actually what carries. And this, uh, a woman named Sandra Murray was the lead researcher of that study, I just said. Uh, And she explained it this way. She said, you know, people are very good at changing their definitions to match how they want to see themselves or how they want to see other people. So someone could decide they're a good driver, for example, even if they've had speeding tickets, right? Even if, you know, if they've never, if they've never been in an accident. So I can decide that I'm a great driver. You know, I've never been in an accident, but I've had like 50 speeding tickets and God knows what else, right? We can decide these things. And in the same way, people might be able to decide that they're their your spouse match or your partner match that they match match your ideal even if it's not really true you can decide that and make that the true story you tell yourself so so i say you know let yourself be a little crazy crazy for your partner anyway you know that it will pay off and i really want you to think about this right now like how can i start really thinking about these things and almost blowing them out of proportion that they do that they do do well that that I do like about them focus there create this whole new story start the new story and stop telling the old story it's not helping you you're not getting anywhere okay 
And then the other one I want to mention, key number two. So really goes into this idea that we need to have all these things similar. And there's real, there's only one similarity that matters, again, from the research. And I'll, I'll talk about it in a minute. But since I'm talking about Gary so much, please don't tell him I talked about him on the podcast. I told you before, he's very, he's very shy. He would hate this, hate this so much. But he hasn't listened. So we get to just talk. Uh, I will tell you, Gary and I, we don't like the same things pretty much across the board. I love food. I love food. I'm a, uh, 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 I, I'm a, a food whore, if you want to put it that way. I love it. I love food. I talk about it constantly. I'm the daughter of a, of a chef. I love to cook and bake. I make gourmet meals. I make scrumptious desserts. I love being in the kitchen. I love entertaining people. I love talking about food. I'll talk about your food. Uh, if I, <laughs> when I'm in a restaurant, I'm that person looking at everyone else's plate. What do they have? What do they have? I'm not going to order it. I just want to know. I just like to talk about it. So, and Gary, my man would take a pill every day if he could to get all his nutrients, you know, that, that he would be very happy just taking a pill literally, or getting some takeout from Wendy's. <laughs> that would be, that would be top of his, you know, going to, into a burger joint and driving out, getting a pizza. Like that's his thing. Um, Gary loves to challenge himself physically. I've talked about this. He works out often. He says things like I get to go work out, which I think is crazy. He did triathlons for many years and he switched to obstacle course races uh, a few years ago. Talks about them travels. I mean, he loves going to the gym. Oh my gosh. When he talks about his workouts, it's so cute. I consider walking from the couch to the refrigerator my required steps for the day. I just want to say that. I I do exercise at but I really don't want to. I think I look at all the research so that I can find some that says I don't have to exercise. I it's I all these years in everyone was like, "Oh, you'll start loving it. It'll be great. You'll get some nope, nope, not me. Not me. I don't know what to say. I want it to be me. I keep telling the story of you know, oh yeah, exercise. I mean, I get myself so hyped up, which is the only reason I do it every day. Uh, not every day, during the week. But I, it's just not, I, I don't look, I don't go out of my way to go, I don't hike, I don't, I don't go on bike rides. And Gary loves all that stuff. And, and I could go on and friggin' on. He's a country mouse, I'm a city mouse. He thinks spending $100 on a pair of sneakers is way too much, even though he literally wears sneakers every single day. Wears them to work, wears them every day. I have a shelf of Louis Vuitton bags. That's what I like. I mean, we are, <laughs> but we're also very much in love even after so many years together. So, you know, what gives, right? What gives? Don't you have to have a ton of similar interests to make a relationship last? I've heard this. Don't you need to be more alike than different to find long-term happiness with someone? Well, not according to the research. The research supports my crazy relationship with my man. There was a study of 23,000 married couples. And they found that similarity of spouses only accounted, get this, for 0.5, that's less than 1%, half of 1%, 0.5% of couples' satisfaction. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Less than 1% of how satisfied they were had to do with their similarities. There was another meta-study. This one was of like analyzed results of 313 other studies. And they, again, found that similar preferences had no effect on being happy in the relationship. How do you like that? Overall, being alike and liking the same things is really is less than 1% of the very variation in overall relationship satisfaction. And people come to me all the time worried that they don't have enough in common with their partner. We need to do more together. We need to find more things we like together. Or they're not enough alike. But the research shows that's not where your focus needs to be. Again, I'll link to all this. So so why have we been thinking all this time that we need to find someone like us, that we need to have this? Uh, Underneath that idea is this belief that that if we have so much in common, we won't have any problems. If you really think about why you want to have so much, it's so that, oh, we'll get, we'll get along really well. If we have all these things in common, we'll like to do the same things. We'll get along really well. We'll spend all our time together. It'll be great. We won't have any problems. But every single couple has problems. Every single one. Mine does too. We have problems. Uh, hopefully I'm not making it sound like we're perfection. We are not. We got, we got stuff. This idea that you can't, that you can avoid problems by having common interests is the problem. That, that is not how you do it. <clears throat> and maybe, you know, there's been a lot of research on arranged marriages. And maybe that's why, you know, did you know, I hope you know this, arranged marriages are, are as successful and often more successful than so-called love marriages. The research on arranged marriages consistently shows that although, even though the, the, these kind of relationships are harder in the beginning, after a few years, they improve and find satisfaction. And this is likely because, think about it, people who are entering an arranged marriage, they know it's going to take hard work. They don't even know this other person. So they're going in with the idea that they're going to have to put in effort over time. They, they already, they, they're walking in the door with that. Whereas in a other kind of relationship, right? That's not true. You know, compare this to someone who's all caught up in that lust, you know, what we call limerence, that woo, that woo feeling that's so common in love relationships. And, you know, when you first get together and, you know, if you compare those two, you can see the problem The the love marriage is acting on, on hormones. And, you know, I found my soulmate. And soulmates are meant to be, so I shouldn't have to work hard. Oh, we've got all these things in common. This is going to be great. They are vibing with their person. They have similar goals and values. And they're like, this is it. We're a perfect match. But then reality hits and they're maybe not prepared. 
And I know because I get these folks in my office all the time, they start questioning if they really, do I really love my partner? Was it really meant to be after all? Was I deluding myself? Is this the person? So there's one thing you need to have the same. There's one thing you need to have that's similar, but it's not an activity or where you come from. It's not the language you speak or the movies you like. It's none of those. The only similarity you need from the research is to handle your emotions in the same way or what what the researchers, you know, like marriage guru, you know, John Gottman, who I always talk about because I love him. Dr. John Gottman says it, it's it's what they call your meta emotion. And Gottman studies specifically have shown that the way you and your partner deal with your emotions when you're reacting to situations and conflict is a big key to whether your relationship will be happy and last. Okay? I'm going to explain all this, so don't worry. So, so what do I mean by a meta emotion? So basically, your meta emotions, this is how you feel about feelings. Your emotions about your emotions. <laughs> Depending on how you were raised and how much work you've done on yourself, that kind of adds up to the emotions you have around your emotions, to your meta emotions. So for example, you might think, you know, feelings are helpful but your partner believes they're unproductive or even frivolous to share all your feelings. So that creates the conflict. That's the problem. That's where, that's where everything, because again, you're going to have problems no matter what. So how do you come together? How, how do you guys, you know, talk about things? So I want you to think about what the emotional climate was in your house growing up. Okay. Because this has a lot to do with this. So, for example, in my house, and I've shared this on much earlier podcast episodes, there was no anger in my <laughs> or no, there was no expression of anger in my house, really. I never saw my parents fight. Certainly my siblings fought with each other, but there wasn't like, you know, we didn't yell at our parents or anything like that. Like there wasn't in general a lot of feelings out there. Instead, so like when my parents were upset with one another, there would be what what I now know to be passive aggressive statements. I didn't realize that's what it was at the time. So they seemed like everybody was smiling and happy, but they were making these, you know, they're kind of sniping or digging, you know, maybe under the pretense of a joke or teasing or or even under the, like a backhanded compliment kind of thing. Or yeah, I, you know, oh yeah, that's fine. I'll just do it like I do everything else around here, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, walking out of the room. Where, but you know, if you're a kid watching that, you just see everybody smiling and walking out of the room and no one's blowing up. So, you know, that's what I learned that anger was, you know, isn't an emotion you're supposed to express. And I didn't even know what anger was for many years. So I didn't really get when I was angry. So, in his research, Gottman identified these three types of kind of what he calls, I think, emotional families you might have grown up in. So, like, I want you to listen and see what you might relate to. There's three kinds. One is the emotional uh, dismissing. That's the first one, emotional dismissing. So this is the kind of family where your emotions were dismissed or minimized. Uh, people weren't comfortable talking about emotions and maybe would try to quickly move on. Uh, that was definitely in my house what happened. You might have heard, you know, oh, don't, don't be upset. You'll, you'll be fine. Uh, you know, the famous uh, boys don't cry. 
And as an adult, of course, you're going to have then a hard time even identifying your emotions or showing your true feelings or connecting with others around their emotions. So you can, <laughs> I got to tell you, anyone who becomes a counselor, therapist, psychologist, me, that's the reason you get into it because you're kind of effed up about this stuff. And so you, this is how you learn. And, you know, in my drug rehab days, uh, I've talked about before, they always make you go around and name a feeling like in the groups. And I used to dread this because I didn't know what my feelings were. I knew like happy and sad, maybe, maybe okay or fine, you know, maybe angry occasionally or miffed. Um, that's all I knew. So it was really hard, you know, but you gotta, you gotta practice, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So the second kind, so that was emotion dismissing. Then there's emotion disapproving. And in this kind of family, you might've even gotten punished for showing your anger or your sadness, or there was just this unsympathetic reprimand or a criticism about expressing your feelings or asking others about their feelings, right? Expressing feelings means maybe even meant you were trying to like get your way. You're trying to manipulate me and feels like, uh, it can feel like it's getting out of control easily. So as an adult, you might get angry and harsh when someone's expressing their feelings um, because you're trying to contain the situation or control the situation. Or someone might be this way to you if you, you know, if you are someone who shares your feelings. And then the third, don't we all wish we grew up in this house, is emotional coaching. So if you were lucky enough to grow up in this type of family, you were surrounded by people who were really comfortable sharing expressing, discussing emotions. You were asked how you felt. You were validated around your feelings. It was okay to be sad or angry. You were encouraged to express your feelings. You know, you, you got asked more questions, delve deeper, let's go there. So as an adult, you're not gonna be afraid of emotions in yourself and other people. You're not gonna feel threatened or attacked in a disagreement. You're gonna be able to handle things in, this whole other way. Emotions are your friend. You're not afraid of them. Uh, <laughs> you don't, yeah, I know some of us are, you, you emotionally healthy people are listening. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Some of us are afraid of them um, or were, I've done a lot of therapy. So you can see, right? Major problems happen in relationships when there's a mismatch of these meta emotions of how you feel about your emotions, of how you treat emotions. When there's a mismatch between you and your partner, problems happen. So 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 let's say you come from a family that was great with emotions. God bless you. If you're still listening, I, I love you so much for being here. Um, probably trying to give me therapy. So you grew up in a family that was great with emotions. So you were encouraged to say how you felt and explore how others are feeling and all that good stuff. And your but your partner they come from a family where they were taught to put on a happy face. You, they, maybe maybe I'm your partner. They were taught to put on a happy face and just keep moving no matter what was happening, right? You know, there's nothing behind the curtain, you know, uh, the great, that's the great Oz. Are you that old, that, uh, that young that you don't know the Wizard of Oz? Okay. So, so something upsets you and you express, you, you know, and you're a little healthy from your little healthy family. And here you are as an adult, something upsets you and you express your anger or your sadness, but your partner gets triggered by this. They don't empathize. And instead they jump into problem solving mode or they try to dismiss what happened, you know, wasn't that bad. 
you know, oh, it's okay. It's going to be okay. You know, they sort of dismiss it. They, you know, do all these things. I did these things for years and years and years. And occasionally I still fall into the trap. So you end up feeling abandoned and rejected by your partner and like, they're not there for you. But what's frankly, what's really happening is that your partner's trying to save you from these terrifying, scary, negative emotions that have made them uncomfortable. So they're thinking, well, you must be uncomfortable. It's the worst to feel this way. I, I also see this sometimes when, uh, you know, when people used to be in my office way back in the day, pre-COVID, um, you know, somebody would cry. Let's say the wife was crying or the woman was crying and um, the their their husband or boyfriend or fiance, whatever, would uh, immediately go grab tissues. And I've seen this in lesbian relationships too. And, you know, I've seen it the other way with men. Just so back off if you're worried about my my gender stuff here. But you get where I'm going. Someone's crying and the other person's like, oh, we get this, getting some tissues, getting up and grabbing them a cup of water. It's it's they're trying to make it go away. It's sit there, hold their hand, be in the moment, let them have this time. Don't try to interrupt it. But that's a great example of someone who's dismissing or uncomfortable. And they they it's under the guise of I'm helping, you know, oh, I'm trying to make you feel better. But it's really because I'm so uncomfortable sitting here watching you cry. I don't want to do that anymore. So they, they, they distract themselves. So what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Thanks, Abby. That's great. I'm hanging up now. No, I'm not. So you got to, learning to identify and get comfortable with your feelings is really what's here. That's what's so huge. When you're comfortable with your own feelings, you're able to express them while also supporting and validating your partner. What a thought. Craziness, I know. So you've got to start to notice your feelings throughout the day. You've got to see, again, notice your feelings and how you feel about your feelings. Remember, that's the meta. How do I feel about this? If you're angry, is it okay to yell or get loud? Is it okay to show anger at all? Notice, notice what happens when you start to feel angry, what you do with it. Do you believe in, you know, rocking the boat or is it all about letting things go? You know, don't rock the boat, you know, let it go. When something, even think of something good, when something wonderful happens, do you share it and get excited with your partner? Or were you taught to like tamp down the happiness and wait, you know, because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, you're waiting for the bad thing to happen. Don't get too happy. Whatever you do, ooh, happy that, you know, oh, whatever it's happy, bad things happen. You know, notice how you feel. So you'll end up feeling anxious when you're happy. This is what happens a lot in addiction. People will say to me, God, I relapsed, but I was happy. I'm like, yeah, it's probably why you relapsed. You were uncomfortable being happy. And again, that relates to, and you drink to, or you do drugs or whatever to, to deal with that discomfort. So be aware. And you can usually tell if you're overeating or drinking or drugging or doing certain things when you're happy, that self-sabotage, it's often, again, because you need to look at this meta emotion, how you feel about the feeling, how you feel about happiness. If you're sad, should you suppress the feeling? or you're allowed to have yourself a good cry, if you feel hopeless and, and want to quit something, what do you do with that? How do you feel about that? Do you share the feeling of sadness or do you substitute it with anger and blame? Does that happen? How do you feel when someone else is expressing anger or sadness? Again, notice the feeling about the feeling. Identifying your feelings is a skill. What do I say? It's a skill. I, I, I used to suck at it so much. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm a I'm a master, but I'm pretty good now. So it's going to take some practice 
But like any other skill, repetition repetition is going to make you great, going to make you amazing, right? I also want you to, again, part of this is starting to notice how you respond when others are expressing their emotions. And again, to do all of this, you're going to have to get in on your mindfulness practice throughout the day, not just a little meditation first thing in the morning or maybe a little thing at night. During the day, you got to check in with yourself. During the day, you have to notice I'm in a meeting with my boss and they say something and I'm getting uncomfortable. You have to notice that you do that. So notice if you, if when, and if you notice your discomfort, do you dismiss something in, you know, is that what you get into? Do you notice that you do that and try to move on? Do you try to, or do you try to immediately problem solve? Um, do you ask questions? Do you explore? Do you encourage other people to share more? What do you do when you're uncomfortable? These are all the things I want you looking at this week. Okay. I feel like I just yelled at you for it. Okay. Uh, I got into it. So I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to close up by just saying this. There was uh, this guy. So Daniel Wild famously said, I love this quote. He says, Choosing a partner is choosing a set of problems. And that's re- <laughs> that is really kind of at the bottom, right? You, you, there's no perfect person. There's no perfect soulmate. There's always a set of problems. It's just what you're going to do with that. Are you going to be delusional and, and not focus on them, number one? And number two, are you going to see that you can use your meta emotions, right? That how you feel about your feelings to match up with your partner or to be in a healthier place. So, cause in the end, you're, you're not looking again for someone who's so similar to you. So you think you won't have conflict because you inevitably will. Instead, it's about being with someone who handles emotions in the same way you do. Put your energy there, keep your energy there. And again, you gotta be mindful to do that. So you can download my mindfulness starter kit for free. Can't say enough. Um, you know, practice mindfulness any way you can. You can sign up for my newsletter. It comes out once a week. My, it's really the relationships made easy uh, weekly check in where I give you a little inspiration to hold you through the week. It's a great way. Wednesday, I think Wednesday mornings it comes out. It's once a week. I don't bombard you with anything. It's I try to keep it relatively short, and I really just I tell a little story or I tell a little thing to try to help you get a focus for the week you know, to, to get into a certain mind frame for the week. So try that, you know, just start doing things that are going to help you stay in your moments so you can make your relationships better. And that's it for this week. <laughs> so uh, as always, if you like the podcast, please, please leave. Uh, you can rate it now on Spotify. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can uh, like and subscribe, which would be really awesome. Uh, you know, leave a comment if you want, whatever. But I really, it's great if you can help me out the other way. I love you so, so much. I love being here with you every week. I so appreciate, you know, there's so many podcasts to listen to and you're sitting here listening to me and it means a lot to me. Um, I love being invited into your life this way and I hope, you know, I reciprocate and invite you into mine some. So have an amazing week. And I will talk to you real soon. Thank you for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with wonderful me, Dr. Abby Metcalf. And I've got two quick things to say. Just give me one more minute. 
First, I love spending this time with you and I work hard to make sure every single episode is going to help you move from any feelings of frustration or resentment or anxiety to that connected, hopeful, confident. That's always my goal. So if you have any ideas for a future episode or just want to say hi, let me know what the podcast is doing for you. Anything. You can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. How simple is that? And the second thing I want to say is if you like the podcast, you're going to go crazy, crazy for my book. My book is really good. I'm really proud of it. You can find it on Amazon or on my website under the shop section on my website at abbymetcalf.com. It's called Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. And even if your partner will do a thing, the book will still really help you. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.